Some of the sounds from a video released by Hamas terrorists earlier this month showing them filming their murderous attack on young Israelis and tourists who were attending the Nova Outdoor Music Festival near the Gaza border on October 7th. Graphic images like this have spread around the world, and so have photos from Israel's government showing horrific evidence of what Hamas did to its 1,400 victims in Israel, including burned bodies and full-color photos of dead and brutalized babies. The massacre, plus the kidnapping of nearly 200 people, including Canadians, has traumatized many people here at home. In fact, the Jewish community is on edge also from Hamas's recent threat to conduct a day of rage against Jewish targets around the world last week that led to beefed-up police patrols around schools and synagogues in our country and many parents deciding to keep their kids at home. So Vancouver's Jewish Federation has offered resources, including from the PJ Library program, to help parents talk to their children about the war. Ottawa's Jewish Family Services says it will provide single sessions of therapy for those who need it to help in Russian or English or Hebrew or French. And Toronto got 250 mental health professionals to volunteer their time to provide counselling. With commentators saying this was a pogrom and Israel's 9-11, we've asked an expert what steps to take to help your children and yourselves cope with the anxiety. Let them speak and lead the discussion before we jump in and fill in with vocabulary and examples that they may not be asking us for. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, October the 17th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Leanne Matlow is a cognitive behavioral therapy counselor in Toronto. She's also the founder of an annual mental health empowerment conference aimed at giving young people the tools they need to cope with anxiety. That conference took place last week as scheduled at a local Toronto theater, but due to the current community fear and grief as a result of the Israel-Hamas war, Matlow held a fundraiser and also arranged for her guest speaker to pay an emergency visit to Toronto's Chat High School so he could talk directly to the students about coping with anxiety during this stressful time. She also has taken the initiative to compile a list of 10 tips for parents to help their children manage their fears, although many of the tips apply just as easily to us adults and grandparents or other caregivers. Leanne Matlow joins me now. Thank you for having me, Ellen. In light of what's come out in the last few days about the attacks on Israel by Hamas, it's continuing to get more and more gruesome. You decided to issue a list of suggestions for families and how they can help their young people uh, through this terrible period. Why did you decide that you needed to issue this? Were you hearing from community members or, you know, where did this come from? In all honesty, um, we know from statistics that if a child has the propensity to be anxious, that usually shows up when they're a child or in their youth, usually shows up before they're 25 years old. And we know since COVID that the the number of people who are suffering has only gone up. Now, let's add a horrific world event that many people are personally affected by. And we have, unfortunately, a recipe for disaster. So yesterday, my phone was ringing off the hook from parents. I was getting emails. um, How do I explain this to my kid? My kid walked by and heard this on the news. Um, Their friend called them and told them that this, this, and this happened. Um, And for the older kids who are on social media, horrific images are being shared and and details 
that are beyond comprehension and with vocabulary and images that they've never seen or heard from about, thank God. And so people have been reaching out saying, how do I explain this? What do I tell? What happens if my kid, you know, can't sleep? Should I still send my kid to tennis? Is it appropriate for them to, you know, go on with their lives? Um, how much uh, exposure should I give them? And this is um, something I care deeply about, trying to um, help people avoid causing what they don't want, which is making your child more anxious. So if we can do things proactively, um, obviously we cannot control the news and the news cycle, but present uh, finding a way to present it and having tools with for yourself or your family to to manage it, I think, is a really important thing. Now, when you talk about youth, what age group are these tips for? Um, I think, honestly, um, my first tip is really about helping the person who's being asked the questions, that that parents also have to need to look, to look after your own mental health. You can't be an advisor, come up with great answers when you yourself are suffering. So, you know, the first thing I often recommend, and I, I did yesterday and would again today, is you have to look after your own mental health. You can't be staring at the news 24-7 and tell your kid, you know what, that's not healthy, so you should turn your phone off. Um, they're watching everything that we do. They're watching our reactions. And that doesn't mean you can't have a reaction to something that you read or something that you hear about. But it may mean, you know, walking out of the room and going into the shower and having a cry instead of doing it in front of your child um, and then being shocked or upset that that sets them off. Um, So we really have to um, help ourselves before we can help someone else. And and to that end, I I think um, we need to help each other. This is a, a community thing as well. So, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying um, I need a half an hour to go for a walk because I need to figure out how I'm how to process what we're seeing and hearing. And if you need to ask your neighbor, your grandmother, your friend to watch your kids, don't feel guilty about that. That's that's okay because you will be able to answer and be there more present for your child or your youth or your husband or your partner, whoever if you take that time for yourself. So um, I don't know, to to make a long answer short, I'm not sure there's an age limit on on any of these tips, to be honest. You're talking now about parents, but of course, younger people are going to be at school or at shul or bar mitzvah lessons, so you can control only what they do at home. But how much should people be talking about this at all who are not their parents? Right. So that's, to me, that's, you know, one of my concerns. One of my big concerns um, is that, you know, people went back to school into their youth groups and their synagogues or their tennis lessons, wherever they go. And that's absolutely the right thing to do. We do need to keep our routines. That also helps with our mental health. Um, and, you know, locking ourselves in a room isn't going to change the situation either. So we do need to continue doing what we do. Um, but to that end, the moment your child walks out into the world, let's forget the cell phone thing, the, the minute they go off into the world, they're going to hear, they are going to hear other kids are talking about it. If your rule is we don't talk about a certain topic that doesn't stop the kid from their friends talking about them, telling them some horrific story. And as I explained to a parent yesterday, what often happens with these things is it becomes broken telephone. One child hears something, then 
not because they're evil or diabolical, but a piece of it gets slightly changed or it gets misheard and then it gets passed on it. And then children become incredibly anxious based on something they heard from someone that is not their parent. So if the question is how much should people in the outside world talk about it? I mean, it's hard. It's The answer is not never because it's going to happen. The answer is, I think, to try if you're in a situation dealing with children to um, remind them that um, like to stick to facts and not get into opinions to to watch your tone and your actions while you're presenting information to always be aware that if a kid asks you something that you have that it's sometimes okay to say let me look into that before you quickly just jump to an answer um, and that at the end of the day, I encourage those same people and those parents when the kid comes back to ask the child, what, what have you heard? Before you start jumping down with, did you hear this and correcting the information or changing people's opinion, especially as the children, you know, the, the teenagers, etc. before you jump in with your opinion on something, let the child speak. And that, if I had to say in one sentence, the most important thing is to let the child lead the discussion instead of the other way around. Some kids, Ellen, are going to hear this stuff and they're not going to care. That doesn't mean they're horrible humans. It's just they either can't process it or they're focused on something else. So, And we shouldn't be judgmental in saying, oh, what do you mean you don't care? That's not a helpful thing for a parent to say. So that's one thing. And for the other thing is we have to meet a child or a youth where they are. It's almost the same as sex education. You know, you don't want to tell them stuff there that's ahead, but I'm not equating it. Please don't take this the wrong way. Because there are some parents I know who don't didn't tell their children anything about 9-11. And so it, I was carpooling and I brought it up and she was mad at me. So what do you do in carpool, for example? Again, I think we have to take the cues from the kids. If you're in driving a carpool, um, children getting into cars should not be asked, hey, what do you think about what happened the other night? That's not the question you lead with. You know, how are you today is always a great question um, because the kid is going to answer, you know, you're going to get the information from that question. If they say, I'm good, I'm looking forward to the Leaf game on Wednesday, then you don't have to jump in with changing what they're thinking about. Let them do that as a carpool driver, a scout leader, whatever. You don't actually, I don't think you really have the right to lead that discussion. You know, the example of sex education is one that I used to. You don't have to over answer. If they asked you one specific thing, Stop there. Okay. Don't keep going. This note that was circling around, which some parents may have seen, school boards have been sending it around in Israel about taking these apps and social media apps off your children's phone as if they're going to let you. But that's another story. But do you agree that there are, at this point, there are things that that should be done? The parents should insist that their children should not be looking at the stuff on Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever the... Again, I think you're right. It's going to be really hard for it's going to be very difficult in some homes for the child to listen to the parent to take that off. I think that the messaging is about being able to um, teach kids to be selective in their sources and look at things with a critical 
I, I, I'm not a techie at all, but I know that people do have the ability to fake pictures of things. Um, that's one issue. People have the habit, um, can change things. So things look like something they're not. And they're things that aren't timestamped maybe from a different country or a different era. And we don't know. But to that end, I think that that letter is going out because people are very worried that Hamas is going to release some horrific images. And, and I believe truly that every kid doesn't need to see every horrific image. Um, not, you know, someone called me yesterday and said, you know, they we didn't learn about the Holocaust till we were in grade five. So that's kind of a marker at which I want my child to really know the horrors or see a photo. So if you have the ability to be in the room while your child is looking at something, I think that is a really helpful thing because then you can answer on the spot um, and help them evaluate it critically or be there to empathize, ask, ask and answer questions share in their emotional response to whatever they may see. I know I haven't turned the TV on at all. My other people in my life, at the first few days, they were nonstop watching CNN and whatever. I'm only doing it on my phone selectively that I can control. In Israel, I know they're having the TVs on all the time, but that's for because they have to know what to do when there's homeland, you know, command and things that they have to follow. But also they want to know the loved ones and things. How much TV in the house where or not at all? What do you think? I, I absolutely would encourage people to not leave a news source on 24-7 if we are here. What you're going to see or know doesn't won't change in, in a second. Um, I agree. Obviously, it's different if you're on the ground in Israel and you're getting an alert that says run to your shelter. But here... Um, it's not healthy. Anyone who is putting themselves in the position that 24-7 they're on alert, it's really difficult for our brains to process that. And for a child, it's absolutely not recommended. We need to help kids set realistic boundaries and model it. So if if you say, I'm going to check my phone once an hour for three minutes, and you model that, maybe that's something your kid can pick up on. You're going to hear anyway. That's what I said to someone this morning. Like, you're going to know anyway. Whether they whisper it to you on, on shul or you're at a store or whatever, you'll see it. I want to pick up on two things that your tips say, which we haven't talked about. Reassure, this is number six, reassure your child they are safe here. Clarify where the conflict is happening. Why would kids not know that it's in Israel? I thank you for the question, actually, because I, I, I think a lot of younger kids are do not possess the ability to understand that the, the things that the images they're seeing or what they're hearing about is 5,000 miles away. We in Canada, thankfully, are we're not going to, I highly doubt we're going to get a red alert that we're going to go into somewhere. We don't have bomb shelters here. So I think the idea... What happens once our brain gets activated in a certain way, right? We become overly scared about everything. So kids may hear a story. The one that, the reason I wrote this sentence is because kids are going to hear stories that some bad guys came into their house and grabbed their mother or them outside of Israel. That's not, I feel pretty safe to reassure a five-year-old that's not going to happen. 
And I think for kids that age, we really have to stress, you're not alone. I am here. Your child, your parent is here. Even if I'm not physically in the room with you, this is where this question always comes up. I'm in the house. You're not alone, that we are safe. Questions around always come up, you know, my kid sees there's a guard at the school or there may be an extra guard. Um, on, in shul this weekend, suddenly there was a police car that wasn't there when we walked out after some Pastora. Reminding kids that those people are there to help us be safe, as opposed to, we're not trying to add to their fear. We're trying to keep them safer. So reminding them they're safe and all these things are in place to help them keep safe. Five-year-olds usually are not, I think it's fair to say most of them don't get yelled at. They may hear something. We can say with pretty good certainty that our Jewish community is is safe here. I think that it's slightly different if your child is off in university. I think that the universities, I know Hillel is offering a lot of services right now, that, that the safety question may be slightly different if the child is not living in your home and is off at a college campus. And as we unfortunately know, those are places where um, more vitriol is shared. Um, So encouraging them, if that is your child, to seek out the resources. They're on all the Hillel pages, etc. Find people who they can be with that help them have that feeling of safety. I would not say to a child, come home, you'll be safer here, because that's, again, that's not the answer that's giving into the fear. I don't believe that's the answer. So taking this anxiety and concern and putting it into positive action-oriented tasks was number eight, sorry, number nine on your list. Why did you think that's a way to um, move, push forward in this terrible time? Well, we know that in mental health crises, whether a person's very anxious or in depression, where we're looking for behavior activation, that one of the things that our brains need is to be doing something positive. And we get endorphin rushes from helping other people. We we feel less helpless because if we can problem solve around something we can do. You know, I I know my family in Israel Thankfully, they're safe, but they're out buying groceries and and my nieces were picking fruit today to get to soldiers. Those are things they can tangibly do. We don't have the benefit of being able to do that, but we can collect all the quarters around your house and drop them off and donate them. We can write letters to soldiers or kids who are being moved uh, you know, from the border towns and being misplaced. Can we write them a card to say, I'm thinking of you, here's a little puzzle or a picture that I'm drawing. It's a it's a very helpful way to not feel helpless. And that, you know, in a situation where, again, we're watching from so far away, turning it into something that's positive. Um, you know, older kids can be writing letters to politicians or speaking out if they're comfortable or attending rallies or prayer vigils, whatever they feel comfortable with. But, you know, um, there is also a very important thing about finding community and, and not feeling alone. A lot of mental health issues about are about feeling alone and, and feeling you're the only one who is having these thoughts. So once you step out of that room and can find other people to be, to be consoling, to help you do something positive, it is a very helpful way and sometimes the only thing we can do 
This is very, very helpful. One last thing which we have to mention, one of your tips is make sure everybody is not hungry when you talk about these things. Feed them first because that will make things go down a lot more smoothly. And don't do it right before bed. That to me is the second most important thing. These are very big conversations. These are very difficult conversations. So five, your kid may be totally fine and not mention it in three minutes before they have to go into a dark room with maybe a sibling or maybe alone. Um, that's when they're going to bring it up. So I encourage parents to, if the topic is going to come up, ask their child, tell me how school went. How are you feel? Like it's going to come up. Let it come up at six, seven o'clock in the evening while you're sitting around a table or sitting together on a couch because that you're going to then get your kid off to bed in a better mental state to sleep. And I do think that idea of um, that's just for adults too. Also, if you're hungry and tired or dehydrated, you are not your best self. And that's not the time to enter the conversation. So when you do pick up a child from school, go home, have a snack, have a nice big glass of water and let them sort of be a little calm and then let them talk about it maybe not in front of everyone else in the carpool so that you don't run into that issue. People are texting me, sending me tweets, sending me pictures 24 hours a day. What do you do with people who want to talk about it all the time and it's triggering for you, especially if you're an Israeli who lived through it or you have family there? You know, How much do you participate in the group chats? How much do you don't? To me, the first piece of that is empathy, being understanding that some people are going to be able to cope better than others. We never know what's going on in someone else's head. So we shouldn't assume that they want to talk about it all the time. Honesty is the other word I would say there. I, I can't have this conversation 24 hours a day. Let's talk at three o'clock this afternoon. Again, when you're hydrated and fed and in the mood to have a conversation, conversation. Remember, you have, uh, part of this to start, take bass back where we started, you have to look after yourself. And looking after yourself doesn't mean you're selfish. It means it's it's a piece of self-care. So don't feel obligated to answer every second. It's not good for you. And it may even change how you answer. It may, you may get a, you may give an answer that you didn't really want to give if you had had the moment to be more thoughtful. It's okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries. In fact, I would encourage people to do that because you're going to feel better, answer better, and be there for those other people in a better way. Um, it's okay to say no. I'm, I'll call you back in two hours or please stop sending me those pictures. I'm seeing them too. It, it's not helpful for me. I think we'll have to leave it there. There's so much more we can talk about, but I really, really appreciate these tips. Thank you, Ellen. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. You can read Leanne Matlow's 10 tips. I've put them in our show notes. And if you're in Toronto Tuesday night, the CJN is holding an emergency panel on mental health in difficult times. It's set for 7 p.m. in person at the Prosserman JCC, moderated by Ralph ben Mergi, along with psychologist Dr. Barbara Landau and social worker Linda Fishman. Tickets are free, but you have to register. We put the link in our show notes. If you can't attend, there will be a recording made available soon after. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. Mm-hmm.